Turn your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing a series this month that deal with death. Now next Sunday, please keep in mind a double header. We're recognizing our graduates. If you know a graduate whose name is not listed in the bulletin on page two, I think it is, or wherever, please write that name down and give it to us tonight, what school they're graduating from. We want to put these in the bulletin next Sunday, and we want to recognize them in the morning service. And we need to know those names, so please get that to us, if you will, please. Then also we're recognizing all grandparents next Sunday. It's Grandma and, Grandma and Grandpa's Day. So if you're a grandmother or a grandfather, we want to recognize you next Sunday. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to read the entire chapter. And I think it would be appropriate if we'd stand as we read the Word of God tonight. Furthermore then... We beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how we ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of sensuality, even as the Gentiles who know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are outside or without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that them who also, also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with you, with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this exciting chapter from the book of God. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will apply it to all of our hearts as we listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting inside. May we be better prepared to face life and to face death and to face the glorious coming of Christ because we have met together in Jesus' name tonight. We pray that those who are without Jesus will come to Christ, that every believer will be encouraged to walk with you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated, please. It is the preacher's responsibility to declare the whole counsel of God. The best kind of preaching is to preach by books and by chapters and verse by verse. This is called expository preaching. It gives us the sense of what God is saying. Sometimes we preach textual messages and we bring together all the teachings of the Word of God that bear on that text and we preach that. And that's good preaching. It's valuable. It's important. But perhaps the best kind is when we just go through the Scripture and find out what God is saying and just call attention to it. And that's what we're doing tonight in this chapter. There are four great truths in chapter 4 that we want to walk, uh, look at tonight. This has to do with how to walk as a believer. How to walk as a believer. We're told to walk in holiness to walk in love, to walk honestly, and to walk in hope. Those four things, this sums up this chapter. I hope you'll write that down in the channels of your heart. Number one, we're to walk in holiness. Now we're living in a world that hates God, as somebody has already prayed or said tonight. More and more we're surrounded by people who are at enmity with God. They don't like God. They don't like godliness. Now, they don't say that. They don't say it in clear words. They act it. Our whole world has gone that direction. Notice how different the Scripture says believers are to live. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God that you should abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. God tells us that we're to walk in holiness. Now look at verse 1 for a moment. Walk and please God with the way you walk. Abound more and more in Him. Now the reason he's saying all of this is because what he's going to say at the end of the chapter. We're going to appear before God one day. And in Hebrews 9, 27, the scripture says, it is appointed a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And the scripture that relates to believers is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This is speaking to believers. As we've mentioned in other messages, there are four or five great judgments. Two of those judgments relate to the afterlife. The believers have had our sins judged at Calvary. Christ paid it all. 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Nonetheless, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and everyone may receive the things done while he was here in the body, whether it be good or bad. And he goes on to say in the next verse, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we beseech men. And he goes on in that second, 2 Corinthians 5 to say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We need to live like it. The love of Christ constraineth us. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ did be ye reconciled to God. These are commandments to every believer because we're going to face the Lord one day. And so Paul, in writing to the Thessalonian Christians, says, I want to ask you to walk in holiness. A lot of people are scared of holiness. They want to get as close to the world as they can and still say, I'm going to heaven. They want to live like the world lives. Dance it up. Listen to all the rock music. Listen to all the trash on television. Get all involved in all the things that are going on in the world. And pretty soon, we think the preacher's way out of his mind and way out in left or right field when he preaches standards. And we think, well, why should we live standards? Everybody else is doing it. Why can't we? The reason we can't is God says we're to walk in holiness. If you're saved, if you're part of the kingdom of God, God says walk in holiness. Now there's some subtractions. Look down in verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That means, sanctification means ownership. It means that God owns you. When you've given your heart to Christ, you're no longer yours. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You live in a glass dish. Have you ever wondered if fish wanted privacy? You go to these aquariums and you see all these fish running around here and they're in a glass bowl and everything they do you can see. Everything. You live like that. You may not like it, but you do. My life's a book before their eyes. They reading it through and through. Oh, say it does it. Point men to the skies. Do others see Jesus in you? We're to live a life of holiness, sanctification unto God. God owns us. The question not is, does this please me? Is this what I want to do? But Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And notice what he goes on to say. Every man that you should abstain from fornication. Fornication refers to sexual impurity, basically outside of marriage. But I think it includes inside of marriage also. That ye, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now God has made us with comely parts and uncomely parts. The comely parts are those that show, people can see them, our face, our hands, our feet. The uncomely parts are those that are to be clothed. And we're living in a day when people want to unclothe those comely, those uncomely parts. We have beaches where you can go bare-breasted, topless. They even have bars, I think, right here in our city where they can go topless. And then in the summer, 
Girls want to wear as little as they can, so they strip down and wear some little old tight bikini-looking shorts. God didn't plan that. That's not God's plan. Not God's God's will. You say, well, everybody else is doing it. So what? You know better. (laughs) You've heard the word of God. If you want to live like that, you can do it. But you'll you'll be, one day, you'll face that at the judgment seat of Christ. For one thing, girls, when you do that, you cause guys to lust after you. And most girls like that. Hate to say, hate to be so plain tonight. If I'm being too plain, some of the deacons stand up and say, be quiet, preacher. Now I want to tell you, when you do that, young ladies, you're causing men to sin. And a lot of girls like that. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about that kind of a girl. Unscrupulous, wicked, and on and on. God wants us to walk in holiness. Cover yourselves. You know when that guy over in the demoniac country got saved? What does the Bible say about him? Anybody remember? Tell us. He was clothed and in his right mind. Because he got saved. And today, a lot of saved people want to take their clothes off. Now, beloved, that isn't the will of God. And as we approach the summer... You're going to be tempted by the devil and by the world and the flesh to look like everybody else. I want to ask our wives in this auditorium, our ladies in this auditorium, and our young ladies to clothe themselves this summer. You say, preacher, you've really gone to meddling. Well, no, I didn't. The scripture did. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should obtain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification honor, not in the lust of sensuality, even as the Gentiles who know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother, brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now the second thing, look in verse 9. We're to walk in love, as touching brotherly love. You don't need that I write to you. You yourselves know you're taught by God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. In other words, don't be satisfied with your love, love more. One of the things that bothers me over and over again when we sing the song, Oh, for grace to trust him more. In my heart, I always sing, Oh, for grace to love him more. I wish I could love the Lord like he loves me. I want to increase in love toward God. And you know, when we increase in love toward God, we love each other. You can't really love God without loving the brethren. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. Let it grow. We're to love each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. And when we love each other, genuinely love, we may speak to one another about disappointments we have in each other or maybe somebody else, but it's always so we can pray for them. Not so we can put them down. And when someone 
tries to encourage you to live according to the Word of God, they do it in love. Don't get upset and mad and say, well, I'm not going to come back to church anymore because they expect too much of you. No, we don't. The Word of God does. And wherever you go, there's the Bible. <laughs> I mean, difference where you go home and sit as a recluse, the Bible's still there. You go pull all the shades down and say, I'm not going to listen to any more preaching. Well, you've still got the Word of God you've got to deal with. And when you get before the judgment seat of Christ, the question is, what did the Bible say about the way you're living? And so pray that God will help us to love each other more and more and to abound in that love and to show it. One of the blessings of coming to the house of God, it's like a family. We may mess up. We may not be loved by the people on the outside, but when we come in here, we ought to love each other. There's nothing wrong with embracing somebody when you see them and you know them and you love them. Let brotherly love continue. The other day, I had not seen J.C. Kirby for a long time. He's a dear friend of mine. I love him. We go back a long way, 40, 40 years. He was one of the first persons I met when I came to Bowling Green. I've worked with him in all hundreds and hundreds of funerals. But I hadn't seen him. He's been sick. He's had strokes and so on. And I went into the new funeral home out there. Mrs. Phelps, Mrs. Uh, uh, Coleman's son had died. And I, I walked in that front of that big palace they've got out there on Lover's Lane. And there was J.C. Now, do you know what happened? He reached out his arms and I did. And we hugged each other. I've never seen J.C. do that to anybody. But it was just a sudden, just a sudden expression of love. There's nothing wrong with expressing love. We need to love one another in the, in the economy of the love of God. Let brotherly love continue. Thirdly, look at this scripture in verse 11. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye walk honestly toward them that are outside and that we may, ye may have lack of nothing. We're to walk honestly toward those that are on the outside. Now, those on the inside are forgiving. You know, if we hurt each other, we certainly need to apologize and ask each other to forgive, but we're con it's contingent upon us to forgive. I can't hold some grudge against somebody. We can't hold grudges against each other. We need to forgive. But listen, the world, the, the outside world's not like that. You do something a little bit wrong, and boy, they'll remember it for a long time. And so he says, walk honestly before those that are on the outside. How do we do that? Walk in purity. Walk in holiness. Walk in godliness. Walk in faithfulness. Let's do our best to pay our debts. If we can't, let's try to make arrangements. Walk honestly before those on the outside because we're heading down to the judgment seat of Christ. That's behind the scenes in everything it's said in this chapter. We're on our way to Emmanuel's land. And then he comes to the crux of the entire chapter. He says we're to walk in hope. Not only walk in holiness, not only walk honestly, but we're to walk in hope. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, uninformed, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, 
Now keep in mind when the New Testament mentions death, generally it's talking about a person who dies outside of God, he goes to hell. Terrible tragedy. But when it talks about a believer dying, it says he goes to sleep. There's a big difference. You see, saved people and lost people don't even die the same way. And eternity's not the same. The judgment's not the same. The saved are going before the judgment seat of Christ. The question there is not whether you go to heaven or hell. That's already decided in the earth. The question there has to do with rewards. It has to do with what have you done with what I told you to do in the Word of God. You're not in danger of being cast into hell at the judgment seat of Christ because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Your sins are under the blood. The unsaved man, on the other hand, his body sleeps in the grave until the judgment of the great white throne. And he is brought before the great white throne judgment. And there he's asked, what did you do with God's only remedy for sin? The blood of Jesus. But let's look at the saved man. This is what this is talking about right now. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who have died, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. There can't help but be tears when somebody dies. In this place tonight, there are people all over this congregation who have experienced the death angel coming into your home. I've been with you on many of those occasions. And I'd say there are very, very few times when there were not tears. Those were not tears of hopelessness. Those were the expression of sorrow. God gave us that ability to get that outside. The person that is able to weep can deal with sorrow a lot better than the person who can't weep. He hoards it up. And sometimes it comes out in anger, sometimes in frustrations, sometimes in sleeplessness. But God gave us the catharsis of tears. Don't ever be ashamed of your tears. Tears are often the telescopes through which we can see far into the will and plan of God. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, uninformed, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We're not like the hopeless crowd. Now, I know that in a congregation of this size, there are bound to be some of us who have stood by caskets of loved ones have gone to hell. That's a terrible thing. Terrible thing. The hardest funeral in the world to preach is the funeral of a man who dies outside of Christ. Or a lady who dies outside of Christ. I've had my share of them. They just drain me. And when I have a funeral like that, I almost have to go somewhere by myself and be alone. Just be with God. Awful thing. Not everybody goes to heaven. And we can't read everybody into heaven. We can't preach everybody into heaven. 
Those who reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord go to hell. Oh, friend, it's an awful thing. That's the reason you and I need to do everything we can to witness and try to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're their friends when we do that. We're not their enemies. We're their friends. I've had people say, don't bug me, preacher. Sometimes I've left ashamed that I didn't bug them more. Sometimes I've even said to them, well, friend, I'm your friend, and that's the reason I'm going to stay here and bug you a while longer. Because when we get out into eternity, one day you'll say, why didn't you bug me more? Listen, friend, hell is just as real as heaven. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. And he warned us there's a terrible hell to shun. In hell, that man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham afar off, and he cried, Abraham, oh, Father Abraham, won't you send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue? I'm tormented in these flames. Now, was that just a fairy story? Was Jesus just accommodating himself to the belief of that day? Or was he telling it like it is? And so Paul says to believers, I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. You're going to see him again. You see him again. You've stood by your loved one. You've seen them go down to the valley of the shadow. You've held their hand. That grip loosens. The heart stops. And they're not here any longer. The house they used to live in is right here. It's very dear to us. We, we take it to the funeral home and in dignity, in dignity, we try to prepare it so that it can be viewed. We put it in a beautiful box. We place it out in the garden of the dead with hope. We're going to see it again. We'll see them again. We'll meet them again. And so Paul says, I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. And then he bases it on Jesus. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe also that those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 1, I want you to notice what God says here. Beginning in verse 19. For I know that this shall return to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now would Paul say to die is gain? If he thought he was going to sleep in a grave for a thousand years, how would that be gain? Look at what he says next. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. 
At that time, Paul was not finished. His plan of life was not finished. His course was not run. Turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and notice how different this is. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered like a libation offering on the, on the altar of Christ. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Now listen, in just a few days, they chopped Paul's head off. I don't know where he's buried. I don't know whether there's a place in Rome that shows this is the place where Paul is buried. I've never seen it. But Paul isn't there anymore. He's with the Lord. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look what God says here. Beginning with verse 7. No, beginning with verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Brethren, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Immediately. Immediately. There's no soul slumber. You say good night here, but good morning up there. When a believer dies, there can't help but be tears because there's a separation here. And we can't see them as much as we used to. We can't talk with them. They can't talk to us. But hope says they're with the Lord immediately. And what is heaven like? What is it like where Jesus is? Why, he says over there, nobody ever gets sick. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. And God himself wipes the tears away. We read of a city called heaven, fair home of the righteous and free. How beautiful heaven must be. We stood in honor this morning of our mothers who are in the glory. And we heard the melodies of this hymn. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. How beautiful heaven must be. And so when our loved ones die, the Bible doesn't call it death. He says they've gone to sleep. But they've really gone to be with the Lord. Their body, sleep out there in the garden of the dead until Jesus shall come. Their spirit, immediately with the Lord. Immediately with the Lord. For we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5.1. 
Now notice back in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Look in verse 15, for this we say unto thee by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep, shall not prevent them which are asleep, shall not go before them which are asleep. The word prevent is used in most of our English Bibles. It has the connotation today of somebody keeping them down. And that's an interesting thing. What he's saying is the dead in Christ cannot be prevented from rising first. Perhaps a better translation, the dead in Christ will rise first. They will not be prevented from rising first. They will precede us. They will come before us. And so when Jesus shall come, if he should come tonight, the word of God teaches that immediately the graves of believers would open and the believer's body would be caught up. The spirit of that body would come again and reunite with a, with a glorified body. And there'll be a resurrection would be with the Lord. Then we which are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. But when we get ready to go up, we're going to be changed. We read that passage last Sunday night. I would, uh, uh, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trump of God, for the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we will, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds of the air. Now look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. I have no idea what those sounds will be like, but they will be powerful. And you and I will hear them. As to whether the unsaved hear them, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. You remember when Paul was on his way to Damascus with those unsaved people, those cronies that were going over there to kill the Christians? Paul heard a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the word of God says, those who were with him saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. And it's very possible that the unsaved will not hear what we hear. And so the newspapers the next morning won't know what to make of it. They wouldn't have heard this. They just say, thousands have disappeared. We know what's happened. We'll call an emergency session of the UN to discuss it. And the next day they'll come out in the papers with a logical explanation. But you and I are going to hear the shout of the Lord, <laughs> the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. What's it like for a believer to die? Have you ever been with somebody who died? It's a wonderful experience. To be with a believer that dies. It's just a step over into the other world. When my mother was dying, there were several of our ladies from the church that were there with us that morning. And we began to sing. Just before she went away, we sang, We're Marching to Zion. We sang, uh, Zion's Hill. We sang, uh, 
when all my labors and trials are o'er. And then she left us. We kept on singing. We sang her into heaven. And when she couldn't hear us sing anymore, she heard the voice of the Lord. That's the way it is with a believer who goes to heaven. How different it is for an unsaved person. Beloved, if you're not saved tonight, if you've never been born again, don't run the risk of coming to that time of death or the second coming of Christ unprepared. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus paid it all at Calvary. The whole debt for our sin, the wages of sin, death, Jesus died for us. He was raised from the dead. He's a living Savior, and anybody who will put his trust and faith in Jesus will be saved forever. Thank you, Lord, for this great truth from the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. We're singing number 361. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art cry, calling, do not pass me by. Now, friend, if you're here without Christ tonight, come quickly to Him. Don't run the risk. Where could I go but to the Lord? Who will you turn to when the time is rough, when the days are few, when you hear the death rattle? Who are you going to turn to? Well, turn to Him now. Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin. He'll receive you. He'll cleanse and forgive you. There may be some here tonight who ought to move your membership to this church and get active for God here. You ought to come. Some who ought to be saved and need to come to Christ, do it tonight. Some who have been saved but have never been baptized, you ought to come tonight and take a stand for the Lord. However God impresses your heart, do what God says. While we begin to sing, will you come for Christ?